Teams have coaches, corporations have consultants, and politicians have campaign managers. Activists have had nothing until now. To the Lions of Liberty podcast. Here is your host, your guide, your shining beacon of liberty, Mark Claire. Hey, folks, welcome to episode number 69 of the Lions of Liberty podcast. And before we get to today's guest, I want to take a quick second to let you know about Health Excellence Select, an amazing alternative to Obamacare, which utilizes health sharing to cover medical costs. Your fees go directly to pay the medical expenses of others, not to some massive crony corporation. To learn more, head over to lionsofliberty.com slash health. My guest today is the founder of Panda, People Against the NDAA, a great organization which he has spoken about on this very show before, way back in episode three. Of course, you can check out the full archive at lionsofliberty.com slash podcast. His writing has appeared in numerous publications, including the Huffington Post and Policy Mike, and he is back on the show today to discuss his exciting new project for activists, which just launched on January 1st, known as the Solutions Institute. He is, of course, the president of that institution, Dan Johnson. Welcome back to the Lions Liberty Podcast. That is the most excited intro I've ever got in my entire excited life. Excited about what I'm doing here. <laughs> <laughs> I am doing great, Mark, and yourself? I'm doing fantastic, and you know, I'm always excited to have good guests on, and you were one of my first guests on this very show, and I'm excited to have you back. You're certainly a knowledgeable, passionate guy, and you know, it's it's always a good good to chat with you, because you have a knack of just, you know, when I ask you a question, I'm going to get likely a history lesson, a philosophical lesson, and, 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 a, and a, an activist lesson all in one every, every time. So, you know, certainly happy to have you on here to talk about all this stuff. Yeah, definitely great to be back on. Yeah, and like I said, it's been over a year, way back in episode three since we last talked. So, you know, before we get into your new project, the Solutions Institute, why don't we take a minute to just give us an update on the organization you first founded, Panda, the people against the NDAA. Why don't you give us the extremely Cliff Notes version of that, because of what that is, because everybody can go get the full version of that back in episode three at the archive. But give us the quick hit on what is Panda and what have you been up to in the last year or so? What kind of victories have you guys seen? Panda stands for People Against the NDAA, and it was an organization I launched at the uh, ripe old age of 18 back in Bowling Green, Ohio, designed to take on the concept that America is a battlefield and that the military should be allowed to detain someone without charge and without trial as codified, as put into law in the 2012 National Defense Authorization Act. That was voted in 93 to 7 in the Senate, 283 to 136 in the House. Pretty bipartisan agreement that, well, if it serves the war on terror, the president can detain someone indefinitely without charge or trial forever. Goodbye. And that was basically the opinion and the ideas behind uh, this, this law, the 2012 NDA sections 1021 and 1022 in particular. So... I thought that was really dangerous. You know, I'd seen the rise and fall, or I'd researched the rise and fall of the Third Reich, I'd researched the rise and fall of Imperial Japan, and I realized that this is the last step that a country goes through before it, it falls completely, and decided to do something about it. So we launched Panda in January 2012 out of a little college, Bowling Green State University, and the Cliff Notes version is last time we talked, which I believe was in September of 2013, the last time we talked, 
we had had a hard, hard fight in the state legislatures and done a lot of educating and a lot of work at the state level, but really hadn't had much success. Well, shortly after we talked, we decentralized the organization and turned it into a movement with a supporting organization behind it rather than a structured hierarchical, what I'll call a communistic model inside an organization. Rather than that, we completely decentralized and basically went from zero victories last time we talked to uh, we have now successfully banned the NDAA and the laws of war, the indefinite detention provisions in seven jurisdictions, including the capital of New York, Albany. Uh, it's really impressive, Dan. And we've talked about back in episode three. I can't even believe it, it was September 2013. That just it's just mind blowing because it seems like just yesterday I was just starting the show. Uh, but you've done so much since then and achieved so many victories with Panda. And even, you know, there's certain victories we can quantify. We can say, oh, we had, you know, X resolution passed here, X resolution passed there. But even on top of that, I think the broader victory that you guys have achieved through this organization is just the awareness of this issue, because I think that is the number one thing before people even can even become active about it and, you know, try to fight it. They have to know that there's something to even fight against in the first place. And I think Panda has done such an amazing job of just bringing attention to that specific issue, which I think is very important uh, as far as activism. You have to have specific things you can pinpoint, specific targets to go after. And uh, we'll get more into that when we talk about the Solutions Institute here. So what exactly prompted you? You, you know, you've been doing great work with Panda. You've obviously made a lot of connections over the years. So what actually prompted you to go ahead and start this new organization, the Solutions Institute? Well, there are lots of different things, but one of them that I want to particularly highlight is uh, I wrote an article. I went into it kind of on the fence. I didn't know which side of the issue I was taking. So I did research, a lot of research when it was about, it took me about three months to write. I wrote an article with the completely non-provocative title of, is it time for a violent revolution? Not provocative at all. No, absolutely not. <laughs> and it's about an eight-page article. It's about a 20-minute read. It's, it's almost a research paper in the way it's written. And I researched the effects of revolutions in countries across the world. I researched the effects of a violent revolution. Because in a lot of the... There are certain areas of the patriot community in which violent revolution is seen as a last resort. Like, they don't want it, but it'll be a last resort. And there was always that option in my mind when I first got into this is, okay, well, American revolution, violent revolution, we're going to take it over if, if we really have to. We don't want it to go there, but if necessary, that'll be the end. And uh, what I found out in my research is uh, violent revolutions not only never work, but they always end up with either more tyranny or just the same tyranny for the people under the regime that there's a revolution in. And the American Revolution is not a revolution and, and could not really be classified as a revolution. So uh, when I looked into those those pieces, and that's on the website solutions-institute.org, when I looked into that, I realized, well, a violent revolution is not even an option. It can't be. It can't be a resort because all it does is it recreates the cycle that we're trying to end. If you're trying to end the cycle of tyranny, you can't bring up a revolution which is basically considered legitimate violence you can't bring that into play if you're trying to end this idea of some violence being totally okay so we are kind of looked at well then i need to do something that has nothing to do with violent revolution and i need to i need to help create this 
idea or this concept in which we don't need a violent revolution. We can go about it peacefully. We don't get pushed to that point. And I thought, you know what? When I was an activist, I could have really used the help. I could have really used somebody to tell me what was going on. I could have really used somebody to, to, you know, if you're a, a football team or you become a member of a football team, even if you know nothing about football, you have a coach who teaches you. If you join a corporation or you work in a corporation, you can hire a consultant who comes in and, tell, and tells you how to work things. If you're a politician who I don't really have that much respect for, if you're a politician, you can hire a campaign manager. But if you're an activist, you literally have zero people to go to. And that is a huge problem. There's no one like that for activists. There's no one like that for people who actually want to change their world. And that's the inspiration behind moving on and, and kind of creating this brand new team, this brand new organization, the Solutions Institute, is not to create necessarily new ideas, but to take people who have really great ideas and help them implement those ideas and help them join the political conversation. Right, so basically you want to find the Dan Johnsons out there that are looking to start the next Panda, not Panda, but for a different issue or, or you know, be active in some way, but just don't have that direction, don't have that focus. And obviously over the last couple of years with your involvement in Panda and all your incredible activism, you obviously have a lot of experience in starting an organization, in becoming active, in raising awareness of an issue. And I'm really glad you bring up your article, I should say, about the violent revolution. I remember seeing when you first posted that and getting a little nervous. I was like, oh, what, what happened <laughs> Dan here. He was such a nice kid. And, and is he about to say something crazy? But I did read it and I really did love that piece. I mean, it, it just rings so true. And it, I mean, you go through a lot of historical examples about why, you know, if, you, if you're violent and you have a violent tyranny or a violent revolution, I should say, you're really just going to end up replacing the violence with more violence. And you're not really changing, I guess, the philosophy of the people. And that's where we really need to focus. We need to change the way that people think, because if a bunch of people are against you, opposed to your ideas, and you just violently overthrow the leadership or what have you, I mean, I mean, I'm not even sure who the target of a violent revolution specifically would be. Is it the cops? Is it just the enforcers of the laws? Is it the creators of the laws? Because ultimately, the creators of the laws, even though they're the politicians are, that are actually writing this stuff, in a way, it's the population of America that's creating the laws by supporting this stuff, either actively through voting for a lot of these bad guys or passively by just not caring or not being aware. So, I mean, until you have that groundwork, there's just no point in a violent revolution because what are you replacing it with? You're not replacing it with better ideas. You're not replacing it with a better philosophy. I'm really glad your article took the turn I was hoping it would, which was to <laughs> absolutely declare that there is no possible use in a violent revolution because i mean and if you actually get to the point where people agree with you enough you don't need the violent revolution anymore <laughs> now people <laughs> agree with you so e either way and i guarantee you that if i'd come to the point where it was logical and moral that a violent revolution would actually create freedom that the article would have taken a different turn but, sure. but it's just not logical and it's not moral and it doesn't help in the end game Right. I mean, if, if you could just go in and assassinate one guy and now the world is free, that would just be so simple and easy. But that's not the way the world works. That's not the way our systems work. And that's not the way society works. So I'm glad you've really focused, I guess. I mean, you've always been focused, I guess, on, on the activism. But um, I think that really that article, I highly recommend everyone read it. And we'll link to it in the show notes. Uh, I think it's a really good scope of why the Solutions Institute needs to exist and why this kind of activism uh, needs to exist. So why don't you get a little more into the specifics of the solution? Institute. Who exactly is your target audience and what is your specific mission? Are you just looking for people that are kind of already active out there? Or are you really looking to, I guess, um, inspire activism as well in other people? One of the main principles of the Solutions Institute is, is we believe that the best idea can win. 
So if you if you get in a clash of ideas that people are smart enough to look at the ideas and go, okay, well, this idea is great and this idea is not. I go with this idea. The problem we have in our society today is a lot of ideas don't get the traction they need to have a real debate with counter ideas. So you get kind of this lack of a marketplace, if you will, of ideas. And because some ideas that they don't know how to market them or they don't know how to reach out with to people with those ideas. So what we want to do is we want it doesn't matter whether someone is starting up a new organization or starting up a new movement or just has an idea in their head. They want to turn it into something or someone has a movement already and they want to take that movement and make it better. What we're designed to do is take their idea and with our experts, tweak it. Help them bring in, you can't, if you're an activist, if you know experts, you know them through like a personal connection, like a phone, a friend type of thing. If you want to learn how to do something, you have to Google it. If you Google it, it's usually designed for business, not for activism. And if you find something that's designed for activism, it's designed with a specific message in mind. You have to join Let's say Panda, for example, you have to join Panda in order to learn how to fight at a city council level. It's not an overall. Here's how you do it. Here's the process. Here's how because that's what holds most holds people back most of the time is how do I do this? It's not that they don't know what they're passionate about. They know what they're passionate about. They don't know how to change things with that passion. What we want to do is for the first time ever, take ideas from people or, or have talked to people about their ideas and take those ideas and those passions and teach them how to get things done with them. Our target audience is either an activist who's already active or someone who wants to become one. And Dan, I want to go back a little bit and just start kind of at at the beginning of someone's activism. Why in the first place, if someone is just sitting at home and knows they're upset about this issue or that issue, and they're just generally just concerned, but they don't know what to do. And obviously that's what the Solution Institute is there for. But why should someone even become an activist in the first place? Why should someone get off their couch and actually get involved and not just let things kind of play out however they might play out? They have to ask themselves that question. Why do you care? Why would you get off the couch? What do you want to change? If you don't want to change anything, you know, activism is kind of uh, a specialized industry, to say the least. You know, it, you have to have a passion to get into it. You're not going to go up to a conference of omelet chefs and, and tell the conference of omelet chefs, one day, everyone in America will make an omelet and be an omelet chef. Like, <laughs> you're just not going to do that. That's They're going to laugh you out of the building. Well, the same thing with activism. You're going to have a certain group of people who are passionate enough about changing their world. And I view activists as some of the best, so the most honorable, some of the most moral people on the planet because they see something wrong. They see something, some injustice, and they want to change that. They want to fix that injustice. And for years, what we've had in this country is if you see an injustice and you want to fix it, you have to learn everything over again. You have to by personal experience, learn everything yourself. That's not in any industry. Even if you want to be an omelet chef, you can find other omelet chefs to talk to. <laughs> like, you just apprentice under an omelet chef. You don't have that in activism. You don't have someone who's willing to go, yeah, I'm going to drop the agenda. You don't have to make a hamburger-filled omelet in order to work under me. 
Like I'm going to drop the agenda, just teach you how to make an omelet. Well, that's the idea with the Solutions Institute. Obviously, we're not teaching how to make omelets, though I do like them. Maybe that's why I refer to them often. And a hamburger filled <laughs> omelet sounds amazing, I have to say. As, as a little bit of a sidebar, now you've got me hungry, and I, and I might be in the kitchen experimenting in a few minutes when we get off the air. But uh, Make sure to find uh, an omelet chef to apprentice under first. <laughs> yes, of course. You don't want to jump right into that. <laughs> Every other industry has people you can go to or people you can hire, one of the two. Activism doesn't. It's one of those that no one before has ever been able to say, you know what, we're dropping the agendas. There's an article on the Solutions Institute website right now. It's called Event Planning 101. It's about a six or seven page article that goes into just about everything an activist needs to know about event planning, and it doesn't push an agenda. That's something that hasn't been there before. If you wanted to learn about event planning, you'd have to sign up with another organization. But what if you have an idea that another organization isn't currently taking on? What, what if you have your own idea and what if you want to create and turn that idea into something amazing? Why should you have to sign up for an organization? Why should you have to wade through an agenda to implement your own idea? You shouldn't. And that's what the Solutions Institute is designed to do. We're dropping the agendas. We're saying, look, we're going to teach you the process because we believe the best ideas, if they're cultivated right and if they're presented right, the best ideas in the political conversation will win. We're confident of that. So we're going to help any activist who wants to do something. We have one rule, obviously, and that is good ideas don't require force. As long as someone is not trying to increase or trying to use force or trying to advocate force on someone, we're going to help them because we believe the best ideas truly will win. And there's something else you touched on there when you were discussing about, you know, why someone becomes an activist in the first place. And, and that's the key word to me is injustice, because, I mean, that's what got me, I, I guess, well, I'm sitting down right now. I don't know. Maybe I'm sitting for a lot of my activism because when I'm making my podcast and that kind of thing, but I'm not on the couch anymore, darn it. I'm in a chair. So I, it, got, it got me off the couch and, and got me out there to start being more active in discussing my beliefs. That's why we started our website. That's why we started this podcast, because I saw so much injustice in the world. I saw people overseas having bombs dropped on their house and, and then questioning the motivations for that, questioning why that was happening in the first place. And then I see people at home. I see the same kind of thing happen. I see a SWAT raid bust into people's house, kill an old man, kill a seven-year-old girl, and face no repercussions for it. And it's that kind of injustice that made me say, well, this has to change. This cannot be the way the world is going to be. This can't be the kind of world I raise a family in or Dan Johnson raises a family in. This must be different. It can be different. I know because I'm outraged by it. I'm not that unique. I can't be the only one that would see that this stuff is wrong if we just get more people talking about it and show people the injustice that is out there. And I think that is really how an activist gets created, whether your activism is as a podcast or a website or if you're out there on the streets, you know, changing legislation and going to your local city council meeting and that kind of thing. I'm really glad you touched on that because I think that's that's the most important thing really for me for why someone should be an activist, why they should be involved in liberty movement or any political movement at all should come from that sense of injustice or that sense of justice, I should say, where you, by recognizing the injustice that is in our society. So why don't we talk a little bit more about the specifics of the Solutions Institute? If I'm an sure. activist, say I'm upset about some local gun ordinance that my town passed and it's just this one little issue and I need to get it overturned and I just listened to the Lions of Liberty podcast and heard Dan Johnson in there. So I'm going to go over to Solutions Institute, check it out. What are you guys going to do for me when I contact you guys and say, hey, I have this issue. I want to become active about it. How can you guys help me? How specifically are we going to get through that? Okay, so we have a few different options for you. 
Number one, we have a blog, and that blog will have weekly blog posts on anything from, like I talked about, event planning 101, to things like uh, Greg McWhorter, our law enforcement advisor, spent uh, 10 years as a deputy, is currently employed as a deputy with the Marion County Sheriff's Department. He wrote an article on how to take back your, how to reclaim your local police. So there's articles on there that give you an overall process of what's going on. If you want to get deeper than that, then we have a get help form on there. Now, it's a fairly lengthy form. It's not short. And what this does is it separates the people who want it from the people who are just, eh, you know, I'd like to do something kind of sort of. I don't have time for them, people, those people. What I do have time for is people who want it, people who are passionate about their issue. So they'll fill out that form. And then what will happen is you, myself or one of our intake coordinators will contact them and say, hey, you know, we heard this idea. We see what you're doing here. And we'll refer you to some of our best advisors on this particular topic. If you need web design, you're going to go to an advisor who knows web design like the back of their hand. If you need help with local action, like you talked about with the gun ordinance, we're going to send you to Scott Landreth, who's the founder of shallnot.org, which introduces and pushes gun freedom laws on a state and local level, gun rights laws. And uh, I'm going to introduce you to someone like Jason Casella who has successfully taken back his town of Emmett, Idaho, not only from the NDAA, but he's also blocked a gun ordinance there, and he has kicked Agenda 21 out of his town. He knows local action like the back of his hand. I'm going to refer you to those two people. They're going to talk with you. They're going to provide advice you never would get anywhere else to you for free. All that you have to do is fill out that form, and then we're going to work with you individually, and we're going to turn your idea into a movement, into a success. Can I give an example? Absolutely. We took on a pilot project because, you know, this, this is, we're the first in our industry. This is kind of a new, new thing to ever happen to activism. So we wanted to take on a pilot project, see how well we could do. So in my hometown, where there hasn't been any political activism since Indians were dancing around campfires, there was a couple of young ladies who had never done anything, they have never been active in politics in their entire lives. And they were putting on this police accountability rally. They were going to go have about 15 people there. That was their goal. And they were going to hand out a few flyers. So uh, what I did is I reached out and I said, hey, you know, we're looking for a pilot project. We're just about to launch here on January 1st. And we might, uh, might be looking at helping you out if you wanted some help. This is a week and a half before the rally. Not much time left. So what we did is we sat down with them. They proved they were passionate. So we created a comprehensive plan and we turned that 15 person one time rally where you hand out a couple flyers and go home into a 30 person rally with media coverage from the Toledo Blade, 13 ABC and NBC 24. That rally had a petition at it, which means they got people to create a movement with a target. And the target was to put body cameras on police to reduce police violence, especially in the inner city where they don't have a bunch of cell phones with live streaming video and they can take that type of video. So to get body cameras on police officers covered by local media, they never would have been covered by double the size of their rally. And we just posted an update today that we just found out about. Although the rally was to get the Toledo Police Department to put body cameras on, the Lucas County Sheriff's Department is where Toledo's located. The Lucas County Sheriff's Department, just after the rally, purchased 
15 body cameras for their officers in a direct reversal of their previous policy. It took us 10 hours of work with three advisors to turn a 15-person rally into a, a successful, covered-by-local-media movement. Wow, that's really impressive. And that was before your official launch, even. That was actually last year. Is that right? That was last year, indeed. Uh, that's really impressive, you guys. Are, you guys are getting stuff done before you're even trying to get stuff out there. But you know, it's it's a good example because yeah, I guess it's a relatively small rally, but it got attention. It got people's attention. It got the attention of police departments, and it created a policy change. And more importantly, those people had never done political action in their lives. They had the passion. They didn't have the how. We were able to provide the how, and they were able to make an impact. Yeah, and it's the all the great names and the folks at Solutions Institute that what they bring to the table that can really help guide people that have that passion into some specific action like this that can actually have a real world effect. You know, so many people say, "Oh, libertarians are just about theory," and yeah, this this and that can't work in the real world. But I mean. We all live in the real world, all right? And everything we do affects the real world, whether it's educating people about what's going on or whether it's a specific action like this. And it can have a actual effect, a quantifiable effect that we can point at and say, look, this event caused this action. So it, it's silly when people just throw their hands in the air and say, there's nothing we can do. The, the state will crush us. Like, you know, <laughs> the state is not some magical entity that is, you know, from the netherworld that has come here to just eat humanity. The state is just a representation of the people that are here and the ideas that we have. And yeah, a lot of people have a lot of bad ideas about their fellow man. So we see a lot of bad results. But when people get good ideas and get active about them and have that right guidance, well, we can see good results. So, you know, I'm glad there's this organization out there that is doing this now with the Solutions Institute. Why don't you tell us a little bit more about some of uh, the Solutions Institute advisors? You've got quite an advisory board you guys have put together. How did you go about putting this board together? And why don't you uh, maybe toss out a few of the names out there that people might have heard of that people might be familiar with that, uh, you know, and what exactly these people bring to the table? You know, I, I am so totally humbled by the activists who have said, you know what, we believe in this idea. We want to give back. We learn the hard way, but we want to teach people. We want to help people out. And that's really all I did is I asked him, hey, you know, you're, you're not going to get paid. This is going to be a free thing, but you're going to be able to get paid in, in the freedom and in, in the amazing things you're able to do for the, the next line of activists. And uh, 28 people responded. So we have an advisory board now of 28 people covering probably 30 or 40 different fields. And some of the highlights, I mean, I've got, we've got Derek Bros who kicked the TSA out of the Houston bus system. We've got John B. Wells, who is the host of the largest nighttime radio show in the world, Coast to Coast AM. We've got Justin Breen, who has done video editing and video campaigns for AT&T, Coca-Cola, and Aramark. Uh, we've got Nick Burnaby, who helped start the original March Against Monsanto movement and helped start the, or actually started, the No War Against Syria protests two years ago when uh, the first time the government was trying to go to war in Syria. And on and on and on, we've got all kinds of advisors who are have said, you know what, we're going to help the next generation of activists and we're going to help turn their passion into something real and they've all got lengthy bios we've been very careful in filtering these people out to make sure we only have the most successful the most accurate the best at what they do and i am extremely happy with the advising team we've got on board we're already starting to see some results behind the scenes with different groups we're, we're already working with and i could not be more happy with the advising board for the solutions institute as as we launched a couple days ago 
Yeah, and it's, it's really an impressive crew. And I think the, the big thing that stands out to me just when looking at this list and looking at all the bios there, a lot of these people I've heard of before, some of them I weren't familiar with, but one thing they all have in common is that they are doers. They are people that whatever problem they saw in the world they didn't just sit back. They didn't just sit on the couch. They didn't. They went out and found their uh, their egg omelet chef, so to speak, or, or what have you. Sorry, I tried to awkwardly insert that that analogy back in because I loved it so much. But they went out and they got up and they did something. They didn't just dream of a world with better omelets. They went out and made them. There we go. That was a little bit better. <laughs> Now, Dan, I've got just a couple more questions, but first, I want to take a minute to tell everyone about our sponsor, My Academy of Health Excellence, and their amazing product, Health Excellence Select. Now, until last year, I was just like you guys. I saw my health insurance cost double and my deductible skyrocket thanks to the Obamacare health insurance mandates. Determined not to participate in this corporatist scheme, I sought an alternative and found out about health sharing, a fantastic concept in which your monthly fees go directly to pay the medical bills of others, not into the pockets of some crony capitalist fat cat. Health Excellence Select combines health sharing with a patient care personal assistant, 24-7 phone access to board-certified physicians, and discounts on dental, vision, and other benefits. The best part is that for most people, plans with Health Excellence Select are much more affordable than Obamacare insurance, and it meets the legal mandate, so you will not be fined for using it in lieu of insurance. For more information, Head on over to lionsofliberty.com slash health. Now, Dan, one question I've been asking my guests lately. I'm wondering if you have a book that you could recommend to my audience, whether it's a book about activism or how to be an activist, or maybe it's just something philosophical. What is one book you would recommend to people that are interested in liberty in activism? It's actually a booklet. It's called The Real Nature of Politics and Politicians. It's online. It's about uh, 10, 11, maybe 12 pages long. It's by the Foundation for Applied Conservative Leadership. It's facultraining.org, and you click on info, I believe, or click on more information. It's called The Real Nature of Politics and Politicians, and it lays out the strategy. It lays out half of the ideas that we input into Panda when we decentralized and went from zero to seven wins in six months. We went from zero wins in a year and a half to seven wins in six months using and understanding and learning from this little pamphlet. It is the best pamphlet on political action and uh, protecting your rights through that political action that I have honestly ever read. So it, it would be the real nature of politics and politicians on the Foundation for Applied Conservative Leadership, facultraining.org's website. All right, and I'm glad you brought that up because I think you're the first one to bring up something that I had not even heard of before. So if I haven't heard of it and I'm all over the place with this stuff, there's a good chance a lot of other people out there have also not heard of it. Uh, one more thing I want to touch on, Dan, is an article that you also recently wrote, posted over at Solutions Institute, called The Seven-Step Impromptu Drink... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Continue <laughs> I must... that sentence. <laughs> <laughs> it's the seven-step impromptu speaking drill, not the impromptu drinking drill, but that, that, that might be something else we do on our Libertarians in Living Rooms Drinking Liquor uh, episodes, but we'll get to that later. But <laughs> the seven-step impromptu speaking drill, and, and I don't need you to go through all seven steps with us now, but um, why... Why is it important? I, I like that you focus on this impromptu speaking. It's not you're not talking about giving a speech in front of an audience necessarily. You're talking about impromptu on the fly, how to have a conversation with someone when you, 
you just have a couple minutes, let's say, in the elevator, or a couple minutes over a drink at the bar with them, that kind of thing. So why is it important for someone to have this skill to speak in an impromptu manner about a certain subject that they're passionate about? Because life isn't scripted. It's never going to be scripted. You're not going to be able to write a set of instructions for your activism or for your life or for what you're doing. And if you go on a radio interview, you go on a podcast, you need to know how to respond to questions that you haven't prepared for. So you need to practice what we call impromptu speaking. And I took uh, two semesters. I was or for a year in college. I was on a speech and debate team. Uh, on my last semester, I got he taught one of the top 30 impromptu speakers in the country. And uh, one of the big things that contributed to both that and I've given over 75 speeches at different events around the country in the past couple of years, as well as 150 plus radio interviews. One of the things that contributes to all of that is the ability to answer a question on the fly, the ability to speak on the fly, the ability to speak impromptu, so to speak. And the blog that we put on the, or that I put on the Solutions Institute not that long ago details a drill that I use and that I have used for years to practice impromptu speaking and to get good at uh, taking a question that I know almost nothing about and still being able to answer that question effectively. It's not about how much information or how much research you've done. It's about how can you take what you do know and present it in a way that person will understand? It's a hugely important skill, and that's why we put it on the Solutions Institute. It's also a great example of the type of articles that we have on the Solutions Institute at solutions-institute.org for people to look at, for people to read, even instructional videos for people to listen to and for people to watch to help them in every area of their activism. People can sign for the email list. They can go on the Facebook. They can make sure they get these articles. And that's a great example of what type of content they'll be getting out of the Solutions Institute. Not an agenda, just here's the process. Here's how you do it. Yeah, and that's another good reason for people to come over to your site, to the Solutions Institute website. Even if you're not looking to start some new activism tomorrow, there's a lot of good articles there. There's a lot of good information there, including your article about violent revolution, your article about impromptu speaking. This is stuff anybody with any kind of interest in in liberty or political activism can find useful. And it's really great information there. I'm so glad you've taken this kind of issue-specific thing with Panda, which is certainly a worthy cause, and uh, expanded it to try to help other people out there, because I think activism is not something that just comes easy to people. I mean, it's hard to even just speak to people about politics sometimes. It's hard to even feel brave enough to put your voice out there. Uh, and that's something you have so much experience doing. And I mean, it's, it's really just amazing, too, because you are significantly younger than me. When I was your age, I really didn't care about this stuff at all. To be honest, I really didn't care about anything. I just cared about hanging out with my friends and stuff like that. And, uh, and I'm so glad that people that are my old age back then are, are doing so much more. Maybe not everybody. Maybe you're not typical. But, you know, I'm really glad there are people like yourself out there that are doing so much that aren't waiting until their 30s to start to give a crap about, about this stuff. Uh, so, Dan, thanks so much again for coming on the show. Before I let you go, why don't you give one more time? I know you plugged the website a few times. Why don't you just give one more roundup of how everybody can find the Solutions Institute, how they can find Panda, and how they can get in touch with you. If someone wants to find Panda, they can go to pandaunite.org or find us on Google. Just type in people against the NDA. It brings up all the social media. 
If someone wants to find or get help from the Solutions Institute, you want to be, this is one of the first interviews I'm doing, so you will want to be on the waiting list really soon where it's going to fill up very quickly. But if you go to solutions-institute.org and you click on the Get Our Help button and fill out that form, we'll help you take your idea or take your movement and make it better. If you want to check out the articles, it's just solutions-institute.org. If you need to reach us quickly, we are on Twitter at Activist Help. Say you're heading into a committee meeting, you need to answer a quick question, tweet us at Activist Help, and we will do our best to answer that as soon as possible. And we're on Facebook, facebook.com slash activist help, as well as YouTube, youtube.com slash activist help. Well, Dan, I'm going to go follow you on Twitter right now because I haven't followed the Solutions Institute yet. And I recommend other people do. And thanks so much again for coming on the show and for everything you're doing out there. You're really an inspiration to myself personally and I know to a lot of other people out there. So, Dan, keep up the great work and good luck with Solutions Institute. And we'll talk again soon. Thank you so much for having me. Have a great day. Take care, man. We'll be back after a little break. Hey, guys. Mark Clare here, lionsofliberty.com, where we strive to advance the ideas of liberty daily. We bring you the Morning Roar. That's right. Every Monday to Friday, we'll have a brand new edition of the Morning Roar, where we provide a roundup of some news stories that you may not find in the mainstream media or even in your typical social media news feed. We find stories that relate to the ideas of liberty and provide you with our liberty perspective on them. We wrap it all up every Friday with Felony Friday, where our own John Odermatt goes out and takes a look at some sort of felony. There's felonies committed every day, you know, whether it's a felony committed by the police, a politician, or even an average citizen. You can find all of this and so much more over at lionsofliberty.com, advancing the ideas of liberty daily. This is Glenn Jacobs, and you're listening to the Lions of Liberty podcast. Your shining beacon of liberty, Mark Clare. All right, hope you enjoyed my talk with young Dan Johnson. I, I just have to emphasize again how much admiration and respect I have for this young man who, at the age of 18, saw a problem. He saw the NDAA, indefinite detention provisions, pass and immediately recognize it as a threat to liberty. And what did he do? He didn't just shrug his shoulders and say, oh well, shit happens. He didn't just click to the next channel and watch the real world or the Kardashians or whatever the kids are watching nowadays. He took action and he formed Panda, such an amazing organization that has done so much work to raise awareness about the NDAA and its implications. And now he's taking that knowledge that he has gained, all the contacts that he's made, And he's putting it all together with a Solutions Institute to help others out there who have identified problems and want to take action of their own. I mean, heck, Dan isn't even old enough to legally drink. I can't even invite him onto our Libertarians in Living Rooms Drinking Liquor episodes, which, of course, you can find over at lionsofliberty.com slash podcast, full podcast archive. Now, he's a truly phenomenal young man, and if Dan Johnson is in any way representative of the young minds, the young spirits out there in the liberty movement, well, then the future is indeed bright, my friends. And maybe someday when he's old enough, we'll invite Dan back on the show to have an adult beverage with the libertarians in living rooms drinking liquor. Now, next week, next Tuesday... We have new episodes every Tuesday and Thursday now. Be sure to subscribe on iTunes or Stitcher, however you listen to the show so you don't miss any. 
Next Tuesday, I'll be speaking with another activist of the cause, a guy who has created the first 5013C charity dedicated to combating the Federal Reserve, Seth Mason of the Salidas Center. And until then, folks, oh, come on, you know what I'm going to say by now. Live long! And live free. Peace. Head of Editing and Mastery, John Dawson.